0: Hi, this is Jerome with episode 3 of More Life. I announced last time that this episode was going to be with Akshi and about breathing, movement and meditation. However, I needed to push things around a little and you're about to listen to an equally interesting conversation, although one that is more on a systems level. So in this episode, Noah Healy and I talk about personal and societal transformation including the role of innovation and aligning with nature to build more resilient systems. Noah developed a better form of price discovery and is in an unprecedented fight with the US Patent Office that he'll share about in the episode. He's an expert in computational mathematics and game theory, those being the mathematics of imagination and strategy, respectively. His company, Coredisk, that he founded in 2013, and we'll briefly share about towards the end of the episode, establishes a price discovery for commodities. A little bit about this podcast. More Life explores questions such as, how can we feel more alive? And how can we create more aliveness around us? From a variety of perspectives. If that's something for you, join all the others and subscribe. I want to start right away with the question of, what do you think we can do to create more life. I think we have a lot of opportunity here
1: today um, or sort of with with what exists now, because I think one of the things that's very underappreciated is in the last hundred-ish years, we've developed entirely new capacities uh, from quantum physics, relativity, computational mathematics to understand the world in deeper and realer ways. And so I think we can generate institutions that, that work with, with us and with life in general in ways that are vastly more consonant with, with who we are and what is around. Um, and by doing so, I think we will we will generate much more life, um, and, and certainly by failing to do so, uh, I think I think the systems that we have to sort of promote and protect ourselves are failing because they they're being overwhelmed by that capacity uh, and. At the very least, what we can do is avoid the the destruction that will be wrought by the loss of those institutions because they're going away uh, by building new ones that that can actually function. Mm
0: -hmm. When you say aligning institutions more to how life works, what are the first types of institutions that you're thinking about?
1: Well, my work is in in marketplaces. Uh, I I sort of started thinking about corporate communication around where I was where I was heading um, to to sort of come up with my approach and, and get to where I was going. Mm-hmm. Uh, talking about sort of institutional arrangements has become very popular these days, and lots of people talk about hierarchy. Either that hierarchies are intrinsically bad, and we should just Throw them away, or that hierarchies are intrinsically necessary, and so we just need to, like, build better ones. Um, but the world is effectively more complicated than that, uh, and and we we understand things about trees as a subset of graphs, for example. So hierarchies uh, can be modeled in many ways, but one of the ways they can be modeled is is, is trees in a graph. Um, And the thing is that trees, the the set of possible trees in a graph are an incredibly tiny fraction of the set of graphs that are possible in a graph. And so networked connections, um, if you can arrange them, are vastly more powerful than hierarchical arrangements. And this this either at, uh, you know, a village all being able to come together in... Church or or celebration or even in armies uh, create these sort of networked effects where large groups of people can come together to to carry something out and so societies capable of bringing together those sorts of groups for for what they're doing to create towns and then cities and so on would have vast advantages over societies that that couldn't manage that sort of sophistication. We're now living in a world where literally billions of people are are within reach of the, the conversation we're currently having. Right. Now, it's might not be the case that billions of people will listen to this conversation, but that that scale difference is a difference of kind, not merely a difference of degree. Um, whereas if we were having this conversation at at a you know uh, a cafe, number one, we couldn't do it because we're presently on different continents from one another, and there's no such common cafe we can both walk to. Um, but number two, at most, uh, half a dozen people could could listen to this conversation, um, and the difference between you know six and two billion is is not the kind of thing that fits inside ordinary human conception. Uh, right. And so, management of collegialness, sharing, learning, knowledge, and so on uh, at the scale where billions of us are in potentially constant contact with one another uh, is, is an extreme problem uh, and not one that's being generally addressed right now.
0: Mm-hmm. When you talk about this difference, I have to think of my coaching because I often ask my clients what they want to achieve and then they come up with some sort of like a an increase kind of goal. Okay, I want to increase by X percent. And then I say, okay, cool. And then I ask a different question going way beyond and, and asking like, what if this was not a, about increasing something in percentage but doing something completely new and different? Um, and I think it's really uh, difficult, for one, for me, us, probably, to, to think that way, un, unless we get nudged to. But it is necessary to create innovation and, and create something that is drastically different from what we're used to.
1: Absolutely. Um, and in particular, sort of the story of, of human economy over the last three four centuries with the industrial Revolution has been an exponential change and so mm-hmm. one of the core things is actually changing how you do business yeah. so um, you know there are there are farms in Europe that have been worked for millennia literally um, but the the way that you farm that farm with, mechanical equipment like tractors and so on has fundamental differences to the way that you would farm that farm back when the moldboard plow was coming in Mm -hmm. um and even that uh Jethro Tull uh is that's only about a thousand years ish I think he's closer to 900 than a thousand these days but um that's you know that's centuries but there are There's, you know, the slopes of Mount Pompeii, which were under cultivation during the Roman empire. And I would venture to guess the Etruscan empire before them. Mm -hmm. Um, So so the way that you do your work actually needs to fundamentally change so that you can take advantage of an engine being able to do work for you. Well, similarly, uh, the way that you do your work needs to change so you can take advantage of a computer being able to to do work for you because computers don't work the same way that people do we don't we don't you know raise them as children and send them to school for dozens of years you just give them a uh, a set of instructions or these days with some of the ai programs a list of examples to emulate mm-hmm. and and you know, they do that and they're very good at it. Um, and, and if having stuff like that around is very useful to you, that's fantastic. Um, but if having that around is just a distraction from what you're doing, then, then it just makes things, you know, useless. And so hmm. one of the things that we're currently doing with the technology is sort of creating bubbles around people so that you can sort of see the news that you want to see. Well, history is replete with leaders that effectively insulated themselves from, from knowing what was going on and started acting insane because they they had no contact with reality. Um, we are doing that to ourselves on an industrial, literally, scale now. Mm. Uh, and, and we are behaving literally insane uh, there was a, a disturbing um a report i uh, just saw it in the last week there's been a longitudinal study over the last decade or so of american teenagers mm-hmm. um and so every couple of years they get some blind samples of of american teenagers and sort of ask them what's up like you know are you smoking? Are you drinking? Are you having sex? Are you feeling good about yourself? Are you feeling bad about yourself? Whatever. Um, and teenagers are reporting uh, m- much higher rates of suicidal ideation, much higher rates of, of sort of severe thinking badly of themselves. I don't think it's necessarily officially depression, but, you know, very depression adjacent. Mm-hmm. Um, and for boys, it was, it was up reasonably sharply. It was like low twenties to low thirties or something. So 50 up 50%. For girls, it was from sort of the mid thirties to 59% over the last 10 years. Mm -hmm. So most, most teenage girls are, you know, depression adjacent and, and, a similar spike infraction had had you know contemplated suicide in the previous month and that's that's obviously an unsustainable type of society like you know if if your society makes your children feel so bad they think they should kill themselves then it's not going to last for very long
0: yeah that's tough i I have to think back of something we talked about before we started recording, which was the negative effects of revolutions. So we can we can say we're right now in the fourth Industrial Revolution, and um, we need systems to change, including governance, including schools. And when I think of the situation you just described, two things come to mind immediately. One, Most of what the teenagers that that are teenagers today are learning and have learned will not be relevant for the future, for when they enter the job market, for most of them. And two, many of them are anxious about how the planet is going to look like in a decade or so. So it makes a lot of sense for me that they are depressed or almost depressed and are thinking about suicide.
1: Uh, yeah, yeah, and the thing is, while while I don't see a future for the sort of governments that are putting forth this education, um, I I see tremendous potential available Absolutely. with this capacity. Like, there's a lot of there's a lot of good that we could do for ourselves and for others um, with with this ability. Uh, if we figure out how to use it in in that manner. Um, But getting getting a nine to five at an established corporation, which is gonna get wiped out by whatever new kind of of network that can meet the, the needs of the business that it's in, or at whatever government office, which is regulating an industry, which will be getting wiped out by one of these networks, um, or is just not relevant. Uh, there's, there's an enormous amount of current government work that's around informing and educating people, um, you know, providing that sort of collective information. Um, so you know, it's not it's not my name, but NOAA is uh, the National Oceanographic Aerographic. Uh, administration is one of the premier climate and weather organizations on earth. Mm -hmm. And they, as, as a resource for agriculture, it's incredibly valuable to sort of know what the weather is and is coming down the pike. And they do an enormous amount of work with that, but in a world where you can have, you know, basically a smartphone connected up to, dozens of gadgets and so can everybody else on everybody's farm and the internet can put all that together. Continent scale information aggregation and communication systems are something that can be done on shoestring budgets and can be done from the bottom up and organized in that fashion. And so if every farm on earth uh, for the price of, of, you know, one knockoff Android phone, um, can develop better information than, than weather stations that are in some cases more than a century old. Um, and all that information can be communicated across the planet, then maybe, maybe something like that just is a waste of, of money because, because it it can be done in another way that's more effective and more efficient.
0: Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's really important to create environments where new ideas can be tested and experimented. And well, I I'm in the entrepreneurial world as are you. And I think It is For me, it is really enriching to see people trying out their ideas, whether they work out or not. I I just love seeing people trying out, doing something different, thinking to themselves, this is not working the way it it is set up right now, not for me at least, and I have an idea or I have a tested theory of how to do it differently and then go ahead and, and get the support from the people around them, maybe from government, maybe from other institutions to get something off the ground? Uh,
1: yeah, well, that's, that's. I think that gets to the sort of root challenge um, with kind of intellectual machinery that we have now in computers, mm-hmm. is that human beings have a, a pretty naturalistic understanding of physical labor. Um, it's something that Everyone can see themselves engaging in, you know, if, even if you can only, as long as you can walk, you can kind of see yourself doing work. Um, and so we can, we can see machines doing work for us and think to ourselves, oh, okay, that makes sense. You know, I used to have to walk, now I have a car or a bicycle and, and it's more efficient uh, or it's just doing the work for me or mm-hmm. whatever. Um, but Intellectual work is number one. Many people don't see themselves as as engaging in this, which is, I think, deeply unfortunate. You know, sort of, virtually all human beings are smarter than basically all animals on Earth. So, you know, we, we all have we all have some kind of intellectual contribution to make to the worlds around us by engaging and so on. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, secondarily, even even the people who are successful in sort of, you know, information work or brain work or whatever the term people like to use for it. um, They have an overly holistic view. And so there's a lot of ego involved and, and people don't really see it was like, I'm the leader. I'm what's good about this. And maybe, maybe it's just one or two behaviors that that person's engaging in. Is providing the value stream, and the rest of it is is costly. But the value stream is so valuable that's sort of worth it in aggregate. Um, or maybe it's just an accident, and and it you know it, it's it's market forces are are blowing things in directions that you effectively have nothing to do with. Um, and so figuring out how to segment and and really criticize these things becomes quite the challenge. And then on the second side with innovation, is innovations intrinsically threatening to, to the status quo. And so not merely in entrepreneurship, but also in art, uh, in culture, in, in the environment. Um, the, the sort of current thrust of the environmental movement is incredibly conservative. The entire the entire value proposition is how can things stay the way they are right now? Um, and and even if even if children didn't think that a climate catastrophe was coming, a world where they were going to be sort of flash frozen into adolescence, um, lots of people hate their teenage years. <laughs> that would be, that would be sort of the worst form of hell that they could imagine. Mm. Um, so, so the, the you can't simply embrace novelty for its own sake, because there aren't very many good ideas that people have actually had in history. Um, but at the same time, figuring out how to reward novelty when its its sort of primary value is that it's it's undermining. Uh, the status quo, which is where sort of the existing value proposition is, uh, is is a very difficult problem. Um, I, I worked for many companies, and I was kind of a an agent of change in in all of them. Mm-hmm. And it's a very common sort of refrain for people to desire things to improve, but not desire things to change. Yeah. And those those are incompatible desires. <laughs>
0: yeah leaning into change can be can be difficult and especially when it when it is this kind of change that we talked about before which is not just an incremental change but a a drastic change to do something completely differently and well better in the end but maybe in the in the medium term (laughs) more difficult uh
1: yeah yeah well and and there are many instances uh where there's an enormous human cost uh, mm-hmm. and and that's that's across entire societies um, uh, we we can look historically at uh you know breakdowns in family and rise in drinking in the early industrial period of England. Um, But we can also look at breakdowns in society of, you know, the French terror where the mob took over governance but didn't really have any particular plans for what governing a nation was going to look like. Mm -hmm. And so they just started murdering people out of resentment. Um, There's actually a tale um, from uh, Napoleon's biography I I heard about, um, he was, he was a, a lieutenant in the army. He was an artillery officer and he was in Paris, uh, on or near Bastille day. And so he and some of the other officers are staying in a hotel and Napoleon being Napoleon, he's, you know, a very brave person. He decides to go out and take a look at what's going on. So he, 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 you know, the other ones are like, what are you crazy? They're going to, you know, they're murdering everybody. They'll murder you. He's like, I'm Napoleon. I'm going to go do this. So he heads out downtown and uh, and he's confronted by a literal pitchfork and torch wielding mob of peasants. <laughs> and they ask him, you know, hey, whose side are you on? Uh, and he's like, you know, down with the king. You know, I'm, I'm here. I'm here to strike a blow for freedom, just like everybody else, um, and uh, and he's like, yeah, they. I didn't have to say that, uh, you know. I was I was working with the King of Time. I'm in my uniform. I could have I could have said that, but they would have murdered me. Um, and uh, and yeah, it's 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 crazy. Uh, that kind of chaos is is very undesirable, but I think the thing that can help. People sort of get to where they need to go is to recognize that that's the sort of chaos that's inevitable if these systems collapse and we don't have we don't have things in the wings to 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 lean on uh, mm. in their absence
0: yeah it, it makes me think of something that really influenced my, my thinking about democracy, which is you cannot really have good democracy if you don't have the people educated. If they if they don't understand what's going on and what, what the positive and negative consequences of a certain decision are, then they cannot make a good decision for everybody.
1: Yeah, well, so I think one thing that, that might help people with this concept is that in a democratic system, what you're effectively doing is sampling the population's opinions for how things operate. Mm -hmm. So another way that you could sort of operate a democracy, which would be completely different from the way everybody actually does it, but would be kind of equally valid from a statistical point of view, would be to have random lotteries of juries and just have them make decisions. So rather than electing a few hundred people to a legislature and, and, you know, getting an executive or whatever, you could just be like, okay, governments engage with, you know, I don't know what the number is, but let's say 10,000 major decisions a year. And, you know, governments are, are running people of, you know, 10 million ish population. So 10,000 divided by 10 million, 1,000, uh, there's a one in, and let's say juries are nine people, there's slightly less than a 1% chance each year that you'll serve on a jury that will make one of those major decisions. Mm-hmm. And that will, on average, produce the same kind of government that, that the governments we actually have actually produce. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but... If we think about that most people would be horrified would, would recoil in, right. in you know, one like what what you know in the course of everyone I've met in the course of their lifetime will sit on a nine member panel and make one of the most important decisions what no no let's let's not do that let's do something else instead so so that's the thing and and if that's where you are and you know, with my thinking of, of networking human beings is where a lot of the, the upside lies from modern technology. Mm-hmm. Since that's what your rulers look like, no matter what, basically, if you want that to get better, what you need to do is not change who happens to be sitting in the chair. You have to change the population that's putting people in chairs or or maybe you shuffle the chairs around, but still it's the population that needs to change. People's day-to-day needs to be capable of dealing with things at all the different levels of society in ways that are positive. And in so many cases, uh, your day-to-day interaction with large systems, whether they be governments or transnational corporations, are you know soul crushing horrific worthless endeavors
0: yeah um i mean I, I just have to think of moving from one country to another and and all the terrible nonsense that we were confronted with and all the I, yeah so so it actually makes me think of another thing which is if we, if we want governments particularly to be innovative, then most countries have probably the worst approach they have, they could have, because they employ people who are risk-averse, who want to have stability for life, and reward them with a career for all their life. So there's no incentive for the people who already don't want to have any risks to do anything different. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, and again, that's,
1: there's a certain amount of mission creep. Um, leadership has had a role in human affairs since before language, probably, mm. uh, you know, based on, based on what we observe of, you know, pack animals and so on. Um because there, there is an advantage to getting a group that's all on the same page, and right, and having somebody that's either got the will or a loud enough voice, or is taller and easier to see, or something like that, provide common signals to to do things like that allows you to exploit that value, and there's a lot of value to be had there. Um, And then as things get more and more complicated, some people are smarter than other people. And planning isn't an easy thing to do. And so getting smarter people to to do some planning and do some thinking ahead for the group is very, very valuable. Mm -hmm. Uh, But we're at a scale today with things like globalized grain marketplaces, uh, where the fact that you know Mark's a little smarter than the rest of us uh, or you know Peter's tall and, and loud and so we can all hear him when he's shouting at the pub isn't relevant anymore because you know we're talking about hundreds of thousands of businesses on different continents and you know even Isaac Newton attempted to attempted to sort of control an economic, you know, system, discovered he couldn't do it. And this is one of the smartest people who's ever been alive. Mm-hmm. He's not smart enough to manage an economy in a, in a functional way. That's something that can only be done by a distributed network system that can collect the wisdom of crowds and, and sort of let everybody know what page everybody's supposed to be on. Mm-hmm. Um, and... So governments have become a repository of of these systems, which have simply been overtaken by just the scale of the problems that exist today. Uh, And where having, having a local baron sort of decide to put down some roads for traffic management doesn't scale up to a continent scale international road network. Mm -hmm. that's clean and efficient and maintained um which is a challenge that you know we're getting worse at now like we were we were pretty good at it in the 20th century and now we're starting to suck uh (laughs) and a big reason is because it's a bigger problem Mm -hmm. and, and we have these these risk averse people that want jobs for life um and you know have this we have this situation in ohio in the news right now uh which is getting a lot of press because of how much you know toxic chemicals spilled associated with it but the the kind of the line from the government is that you know three derailments happen every day like you know okay sure this one's particularly bad but you know it's been two weeks there's been 40 or so of these things and and they didn't have toxic chemicals, so you know whatever. Uh, that's that's not it's not a comforting mm-hmm. thought, and it's not a productive, you know, uh, response. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's that's sort of where where that capacity actually lives um, for systems that work the way that governments work, and that's why you can see that systems that work like that like governments uh, are are in a state of collapse Mm
0: -hmm. so I want to ask you another question based on on everything that we already talked about now what would your ideal world look like Um,
1: well that, that kind of changes every time I close my eyes. Uh, but my existing thinking is that information is something that we can both measure and we need. And so that suggests to me uh, that w- we can create systems to directly value knowledge and distribute valuable knowledge uh, to allow organization at the lowest possible level of complexity so that humans can effectively operate their own lives in ways that work the best for themselves in cooperation with the society that surrounds them. Uh, And so I would like to see a movement towards simplification of, of uh, sort of the retail space into commodities. Mm-hmm. Um, move towards uh, energy commoditization, food commoditization, and so on, and get the get the sophistication and the interest at the edges. So. Um, A lot of work is being done with 3D printers and even 3D printers of food. And there are various new kinds of of like food biochemistry coming in. So what if instead of having grocery stores that have a hundred thousand different processed products in them, we have grocery stores that are basically warehouses that have the, the staples in them and staples are available at one or maybe three or four quality grades, but maybe not, maybe just one quality grade. And people identify the kinds of food that they like and have kitchens that can prepare Michelin star quality meals. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so then it's sort of the best of all worlds. You've got, you've got low cost transmission of, of sort of the bulk necessities whether they're whether that's you know cloth or building material or food or energy or data, like the internet's a pretty cheap way to move move you know video around, for example, and then you have sophisticated uh, uh, lifestyle enablement at at the at the fringe, um, so that people can people can have. You know, houses that are economic units, communities that are communities, um, where it's not, you know, Peter lives next to Dave, and Peter works at a company where he telecommunicates it's to the other side of the planet, and Dave works for, you know, uh, a local lawn mowing concern, and the two of them have nothing in common and no interests in common. Um, so, I think I think that kind of model, uh, sort of combining the best of city and village life um, is is a practical possibility and the best thing I can see on the horizon. Um, but there are a lot of challenges, uh, uh, just even morally and ethically, uh, but also, you know, culturally, politically, uh, spiritually, and, and economically. Uh, and I've got I've got a mechanism that makes economies operate more smoothly. Um, I. I would be I'd be surprised if that mechanism would stretch to make political entities run more smoothly.
0: <laughs> <laughs> can you can you tell me more about that in layman's terms? Uh,
1: yeah. Well. A lot of the themes we've been talking about, uh, my observation is that a a trade deal is not just a case of goods for cash. It's also a case of a common understanding between the buyer and seller. Hmm. And so the point of marketplaces is that if the goods and cash have both been normalized, so everybody's trading the same grade of iron ore or, you know, Pig iron or whatever, uh, and everybody's using you know U.S. dollars or euros or some other commoditized form of cash. Then the only thing that's left to sort of figure out is what price level gets supply and demand into into sort of roughly equal amounts. Because I'd be you know terribly happy to buy gas for a penny a gallon. Uh, but there wouldn't be very much gas to buy anymore if that was the price. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so, and, and, you know, I'm sure the the station at the corner would be perfectly happy to sell me gas for hundred dollars a gallon. Uh, But I don't drive very much and I would drive much less under those circumstances. Um, So, that information is another one of these network effect things where it's the accumulation of the business cases of the hundreds of thousands to billions of of consumers and producers within that industry is is where those numbers lie. And of course, change over time is a real thing. And so the, the price isn't a price. The price is a is a calendar of prices, a a function of price over time. And so that is what information is valuable. What does the price over time look like? And so by creating a marketplace for people to integrate their beliefs and knowledge about where price over time is heading, we create a market that can operate completely openly and just say, this is, this is what it looks like prices are because you all went out and negotiated this, you know, for possibly years in the making. Um, and so now we'll just we'll just batch up the two sides and, and execute the
0: trades. So collecting information more efficiently and then putting it all together and simplifying the whole process.
1: Yes, yes. Uh, and not just collecting, but. Um, Also assessing, so so we take on investments uh, based on the amount of information that people want to provide. And then we provide a return based on the amount of that information that turned out to be useful. So if people wanna provide lots of information and, and it basically all gets thrown away, then their investment gets absorbed to pay off the people that had to correct their mistakes. Uh, if people have small amounts of information but it all winds up getting used by the system in mass, then they are taking a a small skim off of an entire industry's exchange, uh, which can lead to enormous returns
0: mm-hmm. Gotcha. interesting. Um, now on a personal level, I would like to ask you. What has been the best change you've recently implemented?
1: Um, well, uh, I'm I'm sort of currently on a, a kick. Uh, so I've been doing this podcasting thing for about a year now, and I'd been getting I'd been getting sort of a slight improvement in the levels of the podcasts I was dealing with, and and sort of a uh, uh, faster pace of of uh, of engagement um and i was on some sites to sort of find some people so i did a thing where i've mostly been doing some sort of surface searches and keeping up with with people as they came onto the site so i decided to do a, a back dive and go look at the every one of the eight thousand sort of people that got there before i did
0: mm-hmm. and
1: and just Manually get through them and see what was and wasn't there, and that's that's led to a considerable upgrade in both my operational tempo and the sort of average quality of podcasts that uh, I'm engaging with now. Unfortunately, that's sort of coming to an end. There's a uh, there's only about uh, 350 uncontacted. Or, or like unevaluated people left uh, you know i'm i'm not contacting 99 because you know very few people are in the niche that i'm in but uh right. but but um uh that that kind of deep dive um uh, has has paid some real dividends
0: hmm, Really cool maybe Maybe we can take a conversation about that offline because I'm curious to learn about your experience with that.
1: Um, yeah, absolutely.
0: Well, so um, to wrap up, I just want to ask you, what are you currently focused on?
1: Uh, my, my focus, as it's been for the last eight years, uh, has been getting these coordinated discovery markets into the world and and sort of being trialed in front of real customers. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I'm fighting with the U.S. Patent Office. Uh, they have, according to them, totally lost, taken leave of their senses. Uh, that they've, they've withdrawn their own acceptance for reasons uh, which they claim they do not understand. Uh, right. <laughs> so there's not much I can do with that it's heading to a court now to see what a judge will make of them declaring that they just want to do it for nonsensical reasons. And uh, hopefully hopefully, the judge will not also feel that nonsense is, is a, a valid argument. Um, and, uh, and I'm reaching out uh, to, on, on podcasts in particular, to various communities to, to you know anybody out there that would like like to see some change in the world uh and and increase the efficiency and robustness of of our economies please talk to me uh because that's that's what i'm offering uh and uh and also you know doing some some relationship maintenance and, and continuity with the handful of people that are starting up some of these markets and, and trying to get them off the ground.
0: Sounds like you, you have a lot going on and uh, I wish you a lot of success with the patent office. That must be a pain. Um, but if people want to know more about what you do, how can they best find out more about you and,
1: and what you do? Well far and away the best way to sort of find out what's going on and is to just contact me directly at my email address noahphealy at yahoo.com. Um, uh, you can also hook up with me at LinkedIn. Um, I, I sort of post milestones and stuff like that there so you can kind of see what's going on. Um, and yeah, Noah Healy, you know, Noah Dash Healy on LinkedIn is me. Um, but, uh, but then I do have a website um, that there's some explanatory video, there's a white paper, there's some other, you know, text and graphics and even some uh, links to video on, from some other people on how to learn about game theory and, and some of these concepts that are, are built into my system. Uh, at corddisc.com that's C-O-O-R-D-I-S-C
0: Great thanks a lot thanks for being on this podcast and I wish you lots of success in your journey
1: Thank you it was a pleasure being here
0: Thank you for listening if you got something out of this episode share that with your friends or colleagues, or even with me by sending a message on my socials. Subscribe to get notified about new episodes and leave a rating or comment in your app to help others find more life. If you have requests for future topics or suggestions for fitting guests, email me at joram prospercom In the next episode, Akshi and I will talk about breathing, movement and meditation. This time for real. Thanks again and hopefully until next time.